Death is significant, but resurrection moves way outside of the boundaries that we know and displays a power that we cannot fully comprehend. It is the saving power of God at work and the reason that many of us are here today. Because that same resurrection power, that same power to save has been at work in us. Once we were dead in our sin, alienated from God, but now we are alive in Christ. New life has sprung from our old self and its gaze is fixed on an eternity journey with Christ. And this is the grace of God at work for what we needed to give to make things right with God, we couldn't offer. But God in his love and his great mercy toward his creation sent his son, the greatest gift, that for anyone who would put their faith and trust in him, there would be a line drawn between that which was old, thank God, and step into something more precious than they could have ever imagined, step into something beautiful and new. The greatest gain in my life was discovering Jesus Christ and putting my trust in him. The second greatest gain was the blessing of my family. And the third greatest gain was the inheritance of a beautiful church family of brothers and sisters across the whole globe, but especially the local church family that I'm part of. So before we go any further, before we tuck into the word, I want to invite you to stand just once more. And if you are a follower of Jesus, who has been changed by Jesus, I would like you to join with us for a few moments. We're going to raise a prayer of thankfulness on this Easter Sunday, together, corporately, from the bottom of our hearts. It can be as simple as, thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. We're just going to take a few moments, together as a family, raise our voices, give thanks to God for the wonder of this day that we remember and celebrate. So let's do that now. Come on, let's, let's start. Raise our thanks for us. Lord God, we just want to thank you as a body and as a family for all that you are, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that this doesn't have to be complex, Lord. It's just simply thank you for who you are. Lord, I was way set apart from you. Now you've set me apart for yourself and you've counted me in as your God, as your family. You're my God. I'm your family. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you are. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. David says, you know, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. For it's better to be one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. And these moments here, it, it, it pays just to be still and remember what it is to belong to such a great God, what it is to have been counted in, what it is that God has done through his son, what a future hope that we have, and what a message and what a mission that we have together as church because there are many yet who need to know the saving love and work of Jesus Christ in their lives. Fuel us, Lord God, and empower us, Lord, to be ambassadors for you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> okay, here we go then. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be 
continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark. So that is Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 30 to 52. So it's Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 52. And I'll be reading from the ESV version. Um, I think it's probably helpful I read the whole lot out in one go and then we'll revisit sections as we, as we, uh, as we look at the preach. Okay, so verses 30 through to 52. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, Well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, They said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking On the sea. They thought (laughs) he meant to to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid, as you do. And And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord God, I pray, Lord, that all, all your word is profitable, Lord, and, and God breathe. And I pray that it will train us in righteousness today. We will not go out of this place the same. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you are taking notes, the, titles, the title for today's preach is, Who Then Is This? Who then is this? That is the awe-filled question that disciples ask when they witness the winds and waves obey the voice of Jesus in the midst of a storm. 
In the two events that we have just read, the writer of this gospel, he pulls them together, not just because they're in chronological order, but through the connection of that question, who then is this? The disciples are still getting to grips with understanding who Jesus is. They are still asking that question, who then is this? So that's how we're going to approach these two events in chapter 6. We're going to look at who then is this, who feeds more than 5,000 people on a basket full of food, and then we're going to look at who then is this, who walks on water. And we're going to do that by drawing some practical points as well that help stir our faith, because like the disciples, we, we are still getting to grips with the reality of who Jesus is. And we want to be a church family that is hungry to know Jesus more, to grow in confidence of who Jesus is, and press forward in life in greater knowledge of the God who is with us. So let's start with that account of Jesus feeding 5,000 by asking that question, who then is this? A little bit of context then. So Jesus, he's, he's recently sent out his disciples, his 12 disciples. They've gone out with authority from Jesus to proclaim a message of repentance, a message that called people from the surrounding communities to turn away from a life of living for themselves and move their hearts toward a life living for God. And he did so, giving them a, a, like a, a measure of authority to cast out demons and to heal the sick, and plenty of that stuff happened. And this is where we get that first language of apostle being introduced, because Jesus is sending out from himself. He is sending out others on his behalf with his authority. Apostle means a delegated messenger, one sent on a mission. So before this great miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 occurs, the apostles, the disciples that are sent out by Jesus, they, they come back. Now, if you gather information from the gospel of both Mark and Matthew, you'll discover that it's here upon their return that the disciples pass on the news about the death of John the Baptist. So it's in this moment not only does Jesus encourage his disciples to rest on their return, but also Jesus himself withdraws on his own. And in Scripture, when that happens, typically Jesus is withdrawing to spend time with his heavenly Father. But I would also assume that in this moment, he's also taking the opportunity in the quiet to mourn over the death of John. Now, I want to get to the, the, main, the main meal of the text, but here are some helpful things to learn in this moment from Jesus when we ask that question, who then is this? Well, this is someone who knows how to send others out to work and labor in the proclamation of the gospel, but he also knows when to give people rest and a bit of a time out. So if you carry, you hear you carry any kind of leadership responsibility for others, it's something to bear in mind. There's a good thing about life balance of good labor and good rest. Secondly, uh, who then is this? It's someone who knows how to withdraw himself. Jesus realized the need for precious time away from the crowd and the noise to spend time with his heavenly father. Jesus also grieved for those he loved. So let's bear that in mind, the importance of taking time out to give ourselves to precious quality time with God the need to draw on him, gain his perspective, and rest in his presence. 
And let's also acknowledge the need actually to take time out to mourn the loss of those people that we know and we love, or have known and loved. Thirdly, this is someone who knows what it is to invest in people. Do you know what? One of the greatest demonstrations of love is your investment of time. And Jesus invested his time with people, whether that was local communities or with his disciples. And that type of investment, it can be costly at times. Although Jesus withdrew, the crowds, they gathered, and they discovered where he was. And the scripture doesn't say that Jesus got annoyed or angry or attempted to hide in a different place. It says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The quiet times, the rest times, the time-out times, you know, those times are going to be interrupted by life stuff. But then who then is this who shows compassion in those moments? Like Jesus, let's look to be a people of compassion even when sometimes it's costly to ourselves. Okay, so the crowd are there in their thousands. They've probably traveled a few days to come and hear Jesus. The disciples are a little bit concerned about them. I don't think they're being like, you know, particularly frustrated, annoyed. They're actually just practically looking at the situation and thinking, hey, how do we feed these guys? And with a bit of logistical thought, we've got some guys who are like that, good coordinators within the context. You know, they're looking at the situation, thinking, how are we doing this? They think, okay, this is the plan. Let's go send these guys away to local towns, communities, in order that these these guys don't go hungry. Now, here comes the good stuff, because when we look at the question, who then is this? Sending people out on a mission, we can do that. Withdrawing to spend time with God, we can do that. Investing time in people, we can do that. But there are some things that only God can do. And here Jesus stops the disciples from sending the crowds away to get food. He takes the little that the disciples have to offer he blesses it and causes it to multiply in, no, in a way no natural law can account for. Not only does God's provision extend to the 5,000 men plus women and children, but there are also 12 basketfuls of leftover food. And that number, leftover number, is also important. So this is the difference that Jesus can make to a situation that we humans cannot This is the deity of Jesus at work. The scripture says that God in his fullness was pleased to dwell in him. And it's in these moments that Jesus demonstrates his incomparable authority and power over creation itself and all of its produce. Who then is this? That the very composition of bread and fish obey his voice. Which makes this statement also ever true and real from the Gospel of John. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What goes way beyond our boundaries and our limits as humans for the good of others is only found in the company of Jesus. Which is why we celebrate today as such a standout day. We know of birth, we know of death, but resurrection goes way beyond our understanding. But in the company of Jesus, we know something of the power of it. Okay, so what do we learn from the main meal then? This first event from asking the question, who then is this? 
This is someone who firstly takes the very little that we have to offer in order to bless much more than we could possibly imagine. There are actually some really wonderful principles that we can receive as those growing in our knowledge and confidence in him. And the reality is this. We have, we have very little to offer in comparison to Jesus. But Jesus is pleased to take the little that we have, bless it, and cause it to multiply for the benefit and blessing of others. So here's my encouragement. Don't be afraid to offer and bring the little that you have. Just see what God does with it. That can be a conversation with a neighbor. It's sharing a verse or a testimony on Sunday. It's going out of your way to do something for someone else. What might seem small to you, God can take. Bless it. Cause it to multiply. Do mighty things. Who then is this? This is someone who knows how to satisfy the hunger of those searching for him. The crowd wanted to be with Jesus and to hear from Jesus to the point that they were willing to forsake their own care in order to be with him. Now, of course, Jesus doesn't want them to forsake their own care. But in order to sustain them, he doesn't just ration the food out so they can make it through. Verse 42 says that they, were, that they all ate and were satisfied. So if you're coming here this morning, if you're hungry for more of him today, this is an encouragement for you. Jesus knows how to satisfy the hunger that you carry, that hunger to understand, to be convinced, to be confident in him. And he may use his disciples, us, <laughs> us lot. <laughs> you know, some with hair, some without hair. You know, use us to help distribute all that metaphorical food that you need because God works in partnership with his people. But ultimately, that provision, that satisfaction, that's coming from him, and he knows how to do that well. Thirdly, this is someone who knows how to provide for his people. Okay, interesting one for the theologians then. So Mark uses the number 12 quite a lot in his gospel, whether that's Jairus' daughter who's 12 years old or the woman who's been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Both of these events, by the way, are tied right next to each other. There's probably something in that that Mark is trying to subtly communicate in a kind of big picture way. I'll leave that one for you to have a look at. However, in this account, we have five loaves and two fish with 12 basketfuls left over. Now, you can connect that to the pattern of 12 that Mark seems to drip feed into the scriptures, but I also want to say you've got 12 guys, 12 disciples, 12 who have been obedient to what Jesus has asked of them, and as much as everyone in their thousands have eaten and satisfied, I think there's also a special blessing of additional provision for each disciple who is faithful. Just the, really the unexpected, lavish overflow from God to those who are obedient to him. And I think the winner is, God loves to bless in abundance those who are obedient to him, to fa- who are faithful to him. The disciples are not looking for that, nor should we. But we also shouldn't be surprised when we get our basket full. We shouldn't be surprised and about an abundant blessing from being faithful. Now, of course, you know, that's going to look like different types of things. And, of course, the disciples could have chose what they do with the basket. But I do think for that moment, God's blessing is upon them. 
So when that happens to you, recognize it. Acknowledge it. Be thankful for it. Don't feel guilty about it. And then, of course, you choose how to use that. Okay. Let's look at the second event. Who then is this who walks on water? Context. Skilled fisherman. You're a fisherman, aren't you, Marky? Would you count yourself as a skilled fisherman? <laughs> oh, he's so humble. <laughs> or true, truthful. <laughs> Most of your life has been out on the boats. There are not many things that are going to catch you out. Nonetheless, there are a few reasons why I think even the most experienced people on boats may have a, had a little reason to be jumpy on this occasion. Firstly, it was very dark. In fact, it would have been pretty much pitch black. It was the fourth watch, which means it was something between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning. Okay, So that's maybe one of the reasons probably why, maybe that's one of the reasons why I might feel jumpy. I'm not very good in the dark. No, not because I'm scared of dark. I literally just can't see in the dark. You turn the light off for a second, I can't see a thing. I can't see a thing. So I would be pretty rocked at this moment. As instructed, secondly, the disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee by boat, but they are a long way from land. The wind was against them. The waves had beaten them a long way from the shore. And in verse 48, it tells us the disciples were making headway painfully, which means it was incredibly hard work for them to head in the right direction. In the... Also, in the pitch black and driving wind, suddenly they catch sight of something in the distance. In the Gospel of Matthew, he tells us that Jesus has come to them. In the Gospel of Mark, he tells us that actually Jesus' intention was to walk past them. I'm not sure what that would have really looked like, but reason number three and why they should be a bit jumpy is that they see Jesus walking toward them on the water. In fact, 20, verse 26 tells us that they were terrified Again, these guys in this moment, and this is why Mark connects these two together, they're still processing the feeding of the 5,000. Verse 52 in Mark tells us that their minds are on the loaves. How did Jesus do that? And, and, and now, how is Jesus doing that? They are still legitimately asking that question, who then is this? So it's probably a couple of reasons to be jumpy and one reason to be terrified. And the word terrified, by the way, we find in verse 50 is the Greek word terasso, which means to disturb, to throw into confusion. So it's not really the type of terrified that we might think, you know, imagine like from watching a scary movie or something like that. It's more like they are disturbed because they can't comprehend what's happening. And Jesus calls out to them immediately and says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, there are some marvelous moments here, and they are teachable moments for us, moments of faith and doubt, confusion and clarity, confidence, fear. It all then ends up leading to worship. And I want you to hear these as an encouragement to you this morning, starting with lesson number one. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jesus immediately moves to dispel any wrong type of fear. There is a right kind of fear, but it's not here in this moment. So guys, in the darkness and driving winds of life, wherever it feels like things are like hard work and you're making little progress and you think it's impossible for Jesus to be there in the middle of it all, Jesus says to you, take heart, 
It is I. Do not be afraid. It is me, and I'm here with you. Lesson two, it's okay to get confirmation. In the Gospel of Matthew, he expands this account of Jesus walking on the water by sharing the response of Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. So Peter says, when he sees Jesus, says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. That's, that's a weird request, isn't it? That's a weird request. But I think at the heart of it, Peter is saying, Lord, if it's really you, I think I'd rather be out there with you than on this boat without you. And logically, we might default to thinking that the safest place is surely on the boat. But it's here that we understand something of the revelation that Peter has received regarding Jesus. Who then is this? That's the person I need to be near. Wherever you are, that's where I want to be. That's the safest place. Lord, if it's you, I want to be where you are. And I guess really, no matter where you're at in your faith, whether that's exploring Christianity or hearing the voice of Jesus in tough times, it seems like here, for your insurance, for your peace, for your confidence, it's okay to get confirmation. Ask God when you think you're hearing his voice. If this is you, would you confirm it? Now, personally, I'm, I'm happy to receive that confirmation through like normal means, you know, through the Bible, Christian friends, but it also seems that you can't rule out confirmation through strange requests as well. So if you if take the example we have with Gideon in Judges 6, God's asked Gideon to like lead the people in, of Israel into battle, and Gideon says, to, Gideon says to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, and it was so. So there's an encouragement for you, okay? It's okay to get confirmation of God's voice on the matter, even at times potentially through a strange request, okay? God knows your heart. He's looking just to see how you respond. And probably my favorite one, lesson three, be prepared to jump out of the boat. There is a moment here of faith and action. Jesus, uh, Jesus, Peter, he's not thinking about the situation. He's not thinking about the environment anymore. Or even the fact that Jesus is walking on the water. There is no longer confusion, just clarity that comes through the command of Jesus, come, come. Who then is this then? He is the one who calls and the one I respond to. When Jesus calls you, you've got to get out of the boat. And that might be a message for you here as an individual this morning that Jesus is calling you. The call is now crystal clear for you. Now you need to respond in faith, jump in faith. Get out of whatever situation that you are causing you to feel like wrapped in darkness or whether you are confused or it feels like you're working against the tide or the wind. Take the risk to respond to the call of Jesus. Be prepared to jump, to jump out of the boat because the safest place that you can be alive is with Jesus. And lesson four, sometimes you're going to sink. Now, I don't, know if you've, <laughs> I don't know if you've taught your child to ride a bike or you remember learning when you were little. You know that moment I, this is the moment for me as a dad, you know, I, it's like the proud and, and scary moment, the moment you let go, and you take a few paces back, 
and they start to go on their own. I think this is a beautiful moment, yeah? And they're focused, and it starts well, but then they turn around to look at you. Look at me, Dad. <laughs> and then you're like, no, 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 no. This, you know this is the moment when it's going to go splendidly wrong. Pretty sure it did for me when I was younger. So it did for my kids. <clears throat> as soon as Peter starts to take notice of the things around him, he doubts. He suddenly doubts. He jumps out, eyes fixed on Jesus, walks toward him, but then the wind manages to turn his head, grabs his attention, he gets distracted, and he starts to sink. Now, I think there's a, probably a couple of things that are important here, like uh, running a 100-meter race, you know, your eyes fixed on the finishing line. When you jump out of the boat, when you take that leap of faith, when you respond to the call of Jesus, keep your eyes fixed on him. He's the one who's going to keep you afloat. Any distractions are going to shift your focus and you could find yourself in deep water. But let me caveat it with this. At the same time, God knows you're human. And if you are able to fix your eyes perfectly on him at all times, there would be no sin in the Garden of Eden and this world would have had no need for a saviour and there would be no Good Friday, no Easter Sunday because every day would be good. But that's not where we're at today. But that is where we will be. And it is something that we should be striving for now. So the other thing is, is that if you do start sinking, start crying out to Jesus. And he is willing to meet you where you're at and put his hand out to you and pull you out. He is willing and mighty to save. God knows you're human. And sometimes you will fall. Okay, lesson five. Increase your expectation. Jesus wants you to enlarge your faith and trust in him. What he's able to do and what you are going to do through him. And like I've already said, there are things that we can do, like Jesus, but then there are things that only Jesus can do. After Peter sinks, Jesus pulls him up and he says, Oh, you a little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, I think Jesus says this to Peter, not in a, I, you know, it, sometimes you can import your own kind of language in a way, or emotion in a way that Jesus is addressing Peter, but my feeling is that he delivers it in a kind, king-like manner, not in a harsh-like manner. However, I do, you've got to feel for him. I think you feel for Peter, because none of the other disciples can claim that they walked on water. None of the other disciples jumped out of the boat. Only Peter. Peter walked with Jesus on water. And yet still Jesus says to you, says to him, oh, you of little faith. So I naturally lean toward thinking that Peter gets a little bit of a hard deal. Why didn't Jesus say, well done, Peter. You made it at least 50 yards before I had to rescue you. That's more than anyone else. No, even in that moment, Jesus wanted to raise Peter's expectation. I, can't, I, can't. I carry that expectation, my daughter playing football. That's, that's how I'm going to say it. It's a biblical expectation. Yes, well done, you carried the ball for that long, but I expected better. You, know? <clears throat> you can say how my parenting goes, that's good. Yeah. Which means there is always more to grow in your opportunity to grow with, in your journey with Jesus. And remember, faith is not just about believing what God can do. 
It's about leaping and doing. It's faith in practice because you are confident in God. That makes you more confident in walking this life. And lesson number six and the final one. The presence of Jesus. When Jesus does eventually get into the boat, the winds, they cease. So there is significance in Jesus calling you out and you responding in faith, but there is also significance about Jesus being in the same boat as you. In the presence of Jesus, the things that are working in opposition to you cease. God is in command of all of his creation, and this was an acute reminder to all the disciples that in the presence of Jesus, the opposition ceases. The disciples have seen this before when they cried out, who then is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. If Jesus is not in the boat with you, jump out and get to him. But if he's with you, then don't fear. Because he's Lord of it all. Which leads us to this place here, in this final statement. It leads us to a place of worship. The whole event in the sea leads to one thing, worship. Who then is this? He is the one that we worship. When Jesus gets into the boat, the wind ceases, confusion, doubt, and disturbance are exchanged for peace, security, and safety. The unhealthy fear is cast away, leaving the right type of fear to remain that which is knitted with wonder, awe. They are left in awe at who Jesus is and what he can do. In the disciples' first experience of Jesus calming the storm, Jesus speaks to the winds and the waves that the power is word, and they cease. The disciples say, who then is this? But the second time, the time that we just read about, they experience a fight against the winds and waves. Jesus doesn't even utter a word. He just joins them, and the winds cease. His presence is enough. This is a wonderful revelation moment for the disciples in their getting to grips with the understanding of who Jesus is. And the Gospel of Matthew helps to fill that picture a little bit more. For they themselves address that question, who then is this, by crying out in an attitude of worship, truly you are the Son of God. What an awesome moment. So that's how we're going to respond together. We're going to respond in worship. And as the band comes up to lead us, I'm going to remind us of some of those answers to that question, who then is this? So should we stand together? these guys begin to play, I want us just to close our eyes for a moment. Remembering that on this Easter Sunday, there are some things we can do like Jesus, but then there are some things that only Jesus can do. As the angels say, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Who then is this? 
This is Jesus who knows how to send his people out on a mission, who knows when to withdraw to be with his heavenly Father and what it is to show compassion and to invest in people. Who then is this? This is Jesus who takes the very little that we have to offer to bless those more than we could imagine, who is able to satisfy the hunger of those who are searching for him and knows how to wonderfully provide for those who are faithful to him. Who then is this? This is Jesus who calms the winds and the waves, who calls us to step out in faith and whose presence causes us to feel safe and to be filled with a sense of wonder. Who then is this? This is Jesus, who went to the cross, who died for our sin, and was raised to life again, that we might be counted in. Who then is this? This is Jesus. Truly you are the Son of God.